Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your presence here. We welcome your presence here. We thank you that this is holy ground. This is set apart exclusively for your use, Father God. We ask that you open our hearts to heed your word, open our ears to hear your word, open our eyes to perceive your word, open our minds to understand your word, and help us put your word into practice. We come against any spiritual force that will try to hold back, inhibit, or interrupt anyone here from receiving from you tonight, Father God. Thank you that your word will be deposited in our hearts and your word will bear fruit in our lives, Father God. And we will enjoy the fruit of your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the benefit of those who are here for the first time, we have been talking about protecting relationships from the enemy. And I'd like to do a brief recap of what we talked about last month. We mentioned that to prevail in spiritual war, there are at least three things you need to know. Number one, we need to know that we are at war. We need to know that we are in spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, The weapons of our warfare, our warfare, that lets us know that we have war. He didn't say your warfare or his warfare or God's warfare, but our warfare. So we are at war. That's number one. Number two, we need to know the enemy. We need to know the enemy. And 1 Peter 5, 8 lets us know that the devil is the enemy. It says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary or your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. So the devil is the enemy. It's not the person. It's not the boyfriend. It's not the girlfriend. It's not the boss. It's not the man. It's not the woman. It's the enemy influencing that person against you. Okay? The third thing that we need to know is the weapons or the tools that God has given us to fight this war. And most of you pretty much mentioned most of them. So we need to know the weapons that God has given us. Again, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare. Oh, we got, not only does it mention we have warfare, it mentions we have weapons for them. So it's in our benefit to know what those weapons are. Now that we know that we are at war and know who the enemy is and know the weapons, how do we use these weapons? How do we apply them? What is their relevance? With regard to that, I mentioned four approaches to spiritual warfare. I mentioned what I believe, what I like to describe as four approaches to spiritual warfare. The first is preventive. The preventive approach. Avoidance. What you do so that something does not happen. The second approach is preemptive. How many of you are familiar with the phrase preemptive strike? Preemptive. Advance. What you do before something happens. You know something is going to happen. So you attack first, or you advance, you move first, 
you, you, you act first, preemptive. The third approach is proactive. And this, I believe, is what a lot of us are most familiar with when it comes to spiritual warfare. Proactive. This is response. What you do after something happens. The binding, the praying, all that. That is the proactive approach. Something has happened, now you respond to it with the tools that God has given you. These three approaches are legitimate approaches. The fourth approach is an illegitimate approach, and that's why I mentioned it. I mentioned it because this is the approach most people use. The fourth approach is the passive-reactive approach. Passive-reactive. Ignorance. This is when you do nothing or do the wrong thing after something happens. And the reason a person does nothing or does the wrong thing after something happens is because they're not aware that they are in a spiritual battle. They don't know who the enemy is, so they're attacking the man or attacking the woman or attacking their boss or attacking a friend. They don't know the tools that God has given them. So their approach is even off. But those were the approaches to spiritual warfare I had mentioned last month. But I spent most of my time on the preventive approach. And with regard to this approach, I painted a picture. Imagine that you see a person in a house. The house is infested with rats. This person hires an exterminator or a fumigator to get rid of the rats. And the person comes and gets rid of all the rats in the house. That is a picture of the proactive approach. Imagine that you are the person. The house is your life, your relationship, your marriage, your job situation, your family. The rats are demonic spirits. The fumigator or the exterminator is what a lot of people describe as deliverance ministers. It could be a pastor or somebody who is, feels like they are called to cast out demons. And by the way, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that he, he's given us authority, we can do those things ourselves. I am not telling you to put up a sign talking about I'm <laughs> going to cast a demon out, but I'm letting you know that you have the authority to deal with them. Nevertheless, this individual invites a minister. They cast the demons out or get rid of the rats. That's the proactive approach. Something has happened. We have, we have rats in the house. Somebody comes in, gets them out. They respond to it with the proper tools to get rid of the rats. That's great. But the preventive approach, the mindset is, why did the rats get in the house in the first place? That is the essence of the preventive approach. That question led people to discover the reason the rats came in the house is because food was littered in the house. There was food all over the place. The house was dirty. Therefore, the preventive approach says, if I keep my house clean, if I don't litter my house, then I can hold the rats from coming in the house in the first place. Save a lot of money. Save a lot of time and energy. And I wish a lot of us practice the preventive approach. We will save ourselves a lot of unnecessary heartache and pain. The preventive approach. I gave examples. 
I talked about how in Exodus chapter 17, we hear the story of the Israelites. They were in a place called Rephidim. They were complaining they wanted water. They complained. They wanted water. Moses went to God. God told him to get the elders and to take the staff in his hand and strike a rock. And he did. And water gushed out for the people. Then in Exodus 17, verse 7, Moses calls the place Massa and Meribah. Massa means testing. Meribah means quarreling because the people quarreled, testing God, saying, where is God among us? Then the next verse, verse 8 says, then came Amalek to attack the children of Israel. The picture that is given us is there is a connection between strife and evil spirits. Strife, contention, quarreling, complaining, invite the rats into the house. So the preventive approach then says, I'm not going to do this so that the rats don't come in. I mentioned along those lines five things that we need to avoid. I'm sure there are a lot of things we need to avoid. But I mentioned five things we need to avoid to operate in the preventive approach. Now, prior to me mentioning the five things we need to avoid, I mentioned this. There's a story in Matthew chapter 12, I believe, verses 43 to 45. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. Jesus is the speaker. Jesus said, when a spirit, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, leaves a person, it searches for dry places, seeking rest. It searches for dry places. That should tell us that we should not be dry. Because it's looking for a dry place. It searches for dry places, seeking rest. Evil spirits rest in dry places. When he doesn't find it, he says to himself, I will go back to my house. The nerve of that spirit, my house. And when he goes back there and finds a place empty or dry, empty, swept, and put in order, he goes and gets seven spirits more wicked than he is, and together they go back and dwell in that person, and that person is worse off than they are originally. I want you guys to do me a favor. This account I just gave you, store it somewhere in the back of your mind, because I'm coming back to this. Okay, store it in the back of your mind. The fact that the scripture said, Jesus said this, the fact that Jesus said the spirit left gives me the impression that the demon wasn't cast out. I believe if the demon was cast out, Jesus would have said when a demon is cast out or when a spirit is cast out. He said when the spirit left. Okay? So the fact that it said the spirit left gives me the impression the spirit wasn't cast out. The spirit left because something happened and I do not believe that what let the spirit leave had nothing to do with the person itself because if the person was responsible for the spirit leaving, 
then the spirit will not say my house. Which suggests somebody else did something that caused the spirit to leave. And again, I'm going to come back to this point. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So, but the point is, the spirit leaves. Now, I brought that up because I mentioned we need to avoid something. Avoid. When you avoid something, you create a void with that thing. But you can't live that void. You need to fill that void. You see, in a sense, when the Spirit left that person, there was a void that was not filled. So when the Spirit came back, it's still empty. It gets seven more wicked spirits than it is, and they fill that person up. So in discussing five things we need to avoid, I mentioned what you avoid and what you fill the void with. The first thing I mentioned was avoid complaining. Avoid strife. Avoid contention. Instead of complaining, fill the void with come praying, come praising, come thanking God. I gave an example in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. James chapter 3, Verses 13 to 16, and I paraphrase the story. It basically says, James the writer says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show with good behavior. Let him or her show with good behavior deeds done in humility or in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have envy, or jealousy and strife or self-seeking in your heart. Do not be arrogant about this and do not lie against the truth. For such wisdom is not from above. It is earthly, it is sensual or unspiritual, and it is demonic. James caps it off by saying, for where there is Bitter, amplified version, where there's bitter envy or jealousy and self-seeking or strife or contention, there is confusion, there is disorder, and every evil thing. Amplified says, every vile and evil practice. In other words, strife, jealousy, envy, Contentions are food for rats. Avoid those things and instead give God thanks. Praise and worship God. So number one, avoid contention, avoid strife, avoid complaining. The second thing I mentioned was avoid the wrong people. Instead, fill that void with the right people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived or misled. Evil communicational associations corrupt good manners or good habits. Instead, let's go by 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those with those that call out to God with a pure heart. So number two, avoid the wrong people. Instead, hang out with the right people. 
The third thing that I mentioned was avoid every appearance of evil. Avoid every appearance of evil. And that is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. The context of that verse actually starts in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, do not despise prophecies. Then it goes on to say in verse 21, examine all things or test all things. Really, the context is, do not despise prophecies, examine the prophecy or test the prophecy, hold fast to what is good and abstain evil. Evil in the sense that you're being prophesied on. Okay? Nevertheless, that's applicable in general to things that we encounter. Let's avoid evil and hold on to good things. And I mentioned, this is something I'm working on myself. Movies, I love movies, I'm a movie buff. There are movies that you don't have to analyze it. You don't have to figure out what the movie is about. It's pretty much demonic. You see it. (laughs) This is no condemnation. Everybody here has a relationship with God. If I'm telling you, if this is the first time you're hearing this, then that means perhaps God is not dealing with you. Because usually God will already be telling you, you can't be watching this, because they invite spirits into your life. So avoid evil and hold on to good. The fourth thing I mentioned was avoid unforgiveness. Avoid unforgiveness and fill that void with forgiveness. There's a story I think is really relevant here. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 34. Matthew 18, 23 to 34. Jesus told this story, the parable of the unforgiving servant. The servant owed, owed his master money. He couldn't pay. He begged the master to give him some more time. The master had compassion and forgave him the debt. Then this same guy finds somebody else who owes him a drop in the bucket. And the guy is begging the servant, please give me time. The servant grabbed him by the throat, pay me, and threw him in prison until he paid the debt. The master heard about it. The master was upset and said, when I forgave you, why didn't you forgive the other person? Therefore, the master handed him over to the torturers. Okay. What that servant did is symbolic of unforgiveness, okay? The master, in a sense, is symbolic of God. And because this guy refused to forgive, God handed him over, put his hands off to the torturers, which are symbolic of the devil, evil spirits. They torment you. They torture you. Because of unforgiveness is a big Juicy steak calling in the big rats into the place. Avoid unforgiveness. Have this story in mind because I'm coming back to it again. The fifth thing I said we needed to avoid is really a, a, a summary of everything we need to avoid. I said avoid being in the flesh. Somebody mentioned it today. Avoid being in the flesh. Instead, fill that void with being led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit or be led by the spirit of God and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do I know when I'm being led by the spirit? 
you bear fruit. How do I know when I'm walking in the flesh? You work. Scripture says the works of the flesh. Notice, <laughs> the Bible says the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 19. But the fruit of the Spirit. You see, things that come from the Spirit is fruit. Which means it's the Spirit of God that is working those things in you. When you're in the flesh, you do the work. And they're described as works in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And you can read it there. So the works of the flesh are in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 20 to, 22 to 23. In the works of the flesh, you're going to see things like envy, jealousy, revelry, contention, things like that. That's how you know you're in the flesh. When you're in the flesh, you're, we're, when we are in the flesh, we are just inviting the wrong spirits in our lives. So we need to avoid all of those things. Amen? Amen. Now, let's go back to the house. You understand these principles. You've got the principle of the preventive approach down packed. You've avoided everything. Your house is clean. You understand what it means to be holy. Keep your house clean. You have, you walk in the spirit. Every once in a while, because of our imperfections, we fall short. But you understand the word where it says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse, cleanse, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So guess what? Your house is clean again. You're back. Great. Just one problem. You have family. You have friends. You have neighbors. You avoid, but they, it's a different story. Every time they come in your house, they bring rats. Your neighbors, they have rats running all around their houses. Because of your proximity to your neighbors, the rats come into your house. You have friends. They don't understand your preventive approach. They don't even care. But they're your friends. And they visit you sometimes with their rats. My point is, there are certain things... <laughs> there are certain things you cannot avoid. And because you cannot avoid those things, then the preventive approach is rendered useless. You need something else. This is where the preemptive and the proactive come into the picture. But let's start with the preemptive approach. This is where you advance. You attack before you're attacked. You know it's coming. There's no question. There's no question. It's coming. So you attack before it attacks you. You know your family member or friend or significant person before you figure out, okay, we're not going to have this relationship. It's bringing some of the house. So you set traps. You set traps. Because the rats are coming. You put poison on your traps to kill those rats. So want to know what are the spiritual weapons that God has given us to deal with those. And this is where the preemptive strike comes into the picture. I'm going to give you some examples of a preemptive approach. This is what you do before something happens. It's going to happen. But you advance. You, 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 you do something ahead of time before it happens to minimize the attack. One example is in James chapter 4, verse 7. Unfortunately, a lot of us quote it like this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
But it starts off by saying, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Preemptive, submit to God. Make sure you submit to God first. The attack is coming. Just make sure you submit it to God first. Then when the devil comes, because you're submitted to God, and therefore submitted to his word, you can now use the word to, to, to whom you're submitted to, to resist the enemy. Submit to God. When you're submitted, then you can resist the enemy, and he flees from you. If we are not submitted to God, in a sense, we are being rebellious. And when we are rebellious, we can't resist the devil. Rather, we attract him. And he's not going to flee from us. He's going to flee to us. Flee like a flea. Flee to us. Because we attract him because we're not submitted. So submit first, preemptive, before the attack. When he attacks, you can resist him. Give you an example. I'm not sure exactly where this verse is. I believe it's in Acts 19. He talks about the seven sons of Sceva. This guy's wanting to cast out a demon. They said, we cast this demon out in the name of of Jesus, who Paul preaches. And I can imagine what the demon just did. It just, the demon, whatever it was, it just stopped. Demon probably just said, stop, stop right there. Just stop right there. I know Paul. I know Jesus. But who are you? What right do you have to talk to me? Me and my buddies are responsible for where you are. You have the nerve. The demon attacked those guys. Stripped them naked, made a fool of them. The seven sons of Sceva were not submitted to the Lord. That's why they're quoting something Paul was doing. Paul was submitted to Jesus. So Paul can't use Jesus' name. These guys weren't, and they got their butts kicked. So that's an example of a preemptive strike. Another example is in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. Luke 22, 31 to 32. This was when Jesus was about to be arrested. Jesus told Peter, he said, dude, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Basically separate and cause division and, you know, mess you up. But Jesus told him, I already did a preemptive strike. He said, but I've prayed for you. That your faith will not fail. When you recover... Strengthen your brethren. Jesus didn't tell him, but I'm going to pray for you. He said, I have prayed, past tense. He prayed in advance, preemptively struck, because the enemy was going to come and attack Peter. So Jesus struck in the head. Um, Jesus prayed on his behalf. Prayer is a weapon. Jesus prayed on his behalf so that when it happened, Peter could recover and strengthen the other disciples as well. Regardless of what approach you use, preventive, preemptive, proactive. The prayer is used in all three. The word of God is used in all three. I know some of you are familiar with the fact that prayer helps you avoid things. The Bible says, pray that you enter not into temptation. Okay? And the word of God is applicable in all areas as well. But Jesus prayed in advance for Peter, preemptive strike, so that when he got attacked, he will recover. But check this out. I want to say something real powerful here. Jesus said, Satan has asked. Does that sound familiar? When Satan asked for Job? Let me say this. If the devil 
is going to attack you, make sure it's because God permitted it, not because you permitted it. Thank you for listening to the While You Are Single podcast. We hope that you were informed, inspired, and impacted. OJ Tokes has written a life-changing book titled Rejected for a Purpose, How God Uses Rejection to Help You Find and Fulfill Your Destiny. If you would like to learn more about the book, please visit ojtokesministries.org. That is ojtokesministries.org. If you like Christian inspirational hip-hop, check out OJ Tokes' Christian inspirational hip-hop album, A Breath of Fresh Air, which is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and other music outlets. You can also learn more about his music by going to ojtokesministries.org. Thanks again for listening to the While You Are Single podcast, which OJ Tokes presents weekly, every Monday. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share with your friends and join us again next Monday. Until then, take care and stay blessed.